Hi, my name is Dr. Mark Alandari, and I'm an infectious diseases specialist in New Orleans. Hi, my name is Hope Hickerson, and I'm a health education specialist and reporter. This is the Noise Filter Podcast, where an infectious diseases physician... That's me, and a health education expert... That's me. Talk about what you need to know to keep yourself and your loved ones healthy. For more information about Noise Filter, your public health podcast, and to watch and share our incredible informative animations, please visit us at noisefiltershow.com. And if you like what you hear, don't forget to leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to us. So let's get started. Proof of vaccine. The process of providing proof of vaccine or negative COVID-19 tests have been designed to be effortless and smooth. This quick and easy process is advantageous to both a patron and the business owner. COVID-19 cards are small enough to be carried in a wallet, and most places will accept a picture of a vaccine card or some smartphone application that can replicate proof of vaccine. The system was designed to be effortless and efficient while still carrying out a proof of vaccine process with some fidelity. The problem here, as it's become apparent to too many, is that these paper cards or negative tests have become relatively easy to forge, especially in a digital image. A simple printed piece of paper could suffice. Bruce Schneer, a fellow and lecturer at the Harvard Kennedy School, discussed this issue in a recent article published in The Atlantic. With a background in computer system security, he discussed the benefits and drawbacks of the relatively low security system used for the proof of COVID-19 vaccine in the U.S. His background offers insight from a security standpoint rather than strictly a public health standpoint. To some degree, he compared the measures for proof of COVID-19 vaccines to the security theater a term he coined himself, of regulations that set in after the September 11th terrorist attacks. Some regulations with good intentions did not make the most sense or could have holes poked in them rather easily. He addressed the two most important failures for security systems. Yeah, just as a quick aside, why are we still taking off our shoes at airports? (laughs) Like, seriously. First, the system can't stop a bad actor from doing a bad thing or block an innocent person from doing an innocuous thing. When it comes to catastrophic events, fidelity of systems and blocking bad actors is the number one priority, no matter the inconvenience. When it comes to COVID-19, he argues that there needs to be more of a balance. Convenience must be increased with the understanding that fidelity will decrease. Schneer acknowledges it would be very easy to create a high security, almost impossible to fix system of vaccine proof. But as he puts it, the cost and money and liberty and privacy are way too high. Most people are compliant with the policies. Obviously, there are some outliers, including famous athletes who forge cards and negative tests, but they are still in the vast minority. Furthermore, every time a story comes up of someone getting penalized for creating a fake card, it makes others less likely to attempt the same thing. Regardless, these cheaters aren't a public health problem because there's so few of them. It's an interesting discussion, and there are points to be made for more stringent checkpoints or to keep things the way they are. As we progress further into the age of just, quote-unquote, living with COVID, the most efficient and proving methods will emerge in a survival of the fittest manner. We are in a really interesting period moving forward as to what's going to happen now 
now that society has said, done, we are finished with this. And if you look at the numbers, especially in Louisiana, we are in some of the lowest numbers we've ever had. I can certainly understand why those decisions are made. I think where we would find ourselves to be significantly successful is how fast we can reverse those decisions and comply with them as a society right. if we start to see cases start going back up again. And that was my exact thought when I saw all the protections start to one by one start to drop off. I said, oof, I just don't feel like we are past the point where there couldn't be another surge, right? Oh, no, 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 no. (laughs) We are not until the globe gets vaccinated. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. I just feel like the globe gets vaccinated. We are we are vulnerable to surges. We are not past that point. And like, I just don't because the public has has been so you know, uh, about how they feel about wearing masks and getting vaccinated. I just don't know if the public is ready to just drop it all to bring it back, drop it all and bring it back. I just don't know how, you know, how people so. will, will respond. to. So it, it's worrisome a little bit. Yeah. In this article, the security analysis refers to something called a security theater, which I totally understand. I mean, that we were subject again. I made the the comment about taking off our shoes at airports and our, you know, and all that. Yeah. But, you know, there is an equivalent of that with COVID. There was something that we used to refer to as hygiene theater. Mm. And hygiene theaters, we know that COVID is not transmitted through touching. It's <laughs> not transmitted through doorknobs or elevator buttons or the shopping carts at the grocery store, whatever. Yeah. It's transmitted through the air. It is a respiratory virus. But still, you know, to this day, I don't see the hygiene theater as much. But boy, during some of the peak part of the pandemic, listen, I'm an infectious disease doctor. I want things to be clean, obviously. So I didn't mind it, but it was a lot of hygiene theater. A lot. I remember being in class and one of my professors would anytime someone would walk through the door, she was spraying the doorknob. Like every every single time she would be spraying it with like a bleach spray. And I'm like, I think you're going to you're going to probably take the coating off the doorknob before (laughs) before doing anything that's going to help us. How about remember when people were like spraying down their mail and their groceries and stuff like that? Yes. And I was one of them in the beginning. (laughs) I was just telling people from the beginning, you do not need to do that. People were like, so, uh, Doc, what is your uh, routine? Like my routine, we go to the grocery store, we bring our groceries in, we unpack them, we take the bags, we put them away. We're done. You know, that's it. Like there is no, the virus is overwhelmingly at that point. We didn't know it, but you know, just based on other coronaviruses, I'm like, I just don't see how touching something could do that. And, you know, the other thing I would say is like, and I wash my hands a lot. If I touch something, I just wash my hands. I'm not going to spray my apples down (laughs) with bleach spray. I'll wash them, of course. And then I'll wash my hands. Uh, yeah, this pandemic has put us through some things. <laughs> Definitely. Brazilian doctor investigates why some people never get COVID. Throughout the pandemic, there have been many cases where an entire household is exposed to COVID and all but one member of the household gets sick. According to the New York Times, one Brazilian doctor has investigated why this may be. 
Dr. Mayana Zatz has believed that genetics can't cause incongruent reactions to the same disease since before the pandemic began. She studied different reactions to Zika virus in twins, where she found that her theory held up. When the pandemic happened, her lab began collecting blood samples from couples where only one person had gotten infected with COVID. While the couples tended to be close in age and ethnic background, men were more likely to get sick. It was unlikely that a single gene mutation could affect the body's reaction to the virus. So Dr. Zatz's lab looked for combinations of genes that could be the culprit. They found that the infected members of the pairings tended to have variants in their genes that affected immune cells called killer T cells. Those who never got infected tended to have more responses from their killer T cells, which more strongly protected them from infection. These findings do not mean that everyone who didn't get infected with COVID avoided getting sick because of T cells, but these findings are illuminating. If Zat's team is able to find out more about resistant genes, COVID treatment could become even more effective. Let's hope so. Yes. Thanks for listening to Noise Filter, your public health podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the Noise Filter podcast. Follow us on social media and leave us a review letting us know your favorite part of the show. You can find me, Hope Pickerson, at hopepickerson.com. And you can find me at Dr. Mark Allen Derry or at the Dr. Derry. That's D-R-D-E-R-Y. To see and share our amazing animations and find out more information about us, the show, as well as links to our social media, go to noisefiltershow.com. We are grateful to our sponsors, including Access Health Louisiana and the End the Epidemic Initiative, who are working to bring equitable health outcomes to everyone they serve. Hope, any last words? Stay well out there, folks, and continue taking steps to keep yourself and your loved ones healthy. That includes exercise, a good diet, getting adequate sleep, and seeing your health care providers regularly. And protect yourself and others by getting the COVID-19 vaccine and booster, wearing a mask, and social distancing wherever possible. Remember, health is a human right. Right.